dove and of the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Lord, we praise him today. We worship him today. We worship the Father. We worship the Son. We worship the Spirit because we have been saved through him, through, through the Trinity. And Lord, we just thank you for that. We praise you this morning. We praise you for all that you've done in our lives. We praise you for who you are and what you are doing in this church. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could see what I see. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a good God, right? I just want to thank everybody that uh, worked and helped us this week and and last week and the week before and, and all the giving. Um, I definitely see the fruit of the Spirit in all of you. I have... Uh, I've never witnessed anything like this ever in my life. People sacrificing and laying down their lives for other people and helping. I just want to thank everybody that's been working and but most of all I want to thank our Lord and Savior what a good God right the Lord is good <clears throat> I also want to uh, I do want to give a special thank you uh, they're working really hard on the sound if you'll hear, you'll hear occasional a little uh, blurb or whatever. But uh, Brent and and Ben um, and and Wendell, these guys, and my brother David, have worked hours, beloved. Poor Jane. Jane, are you here? No. Is Jane here? Jane, you're over. Jane, thank you. Thank you, sister. Nikki, thank you for sharing your husband with us for the last three weeks. And uh, Kayla, you too. Again, I've seen the Lord working in these men hours till 12.30, 1 o'clock at night getting all this put in. So I'm just very thankful. Please make sure you thank the Lord for what God did in their lives this week. It's been amazing. All right, y'all ready to get into the Word of God? Guess where we're going to start? Right where we left off. No big change. We're in Matthew chapter 3. Um, last week we examined 
the Christ-focused ministry of John the Baptist in verses 1 to 12 of chapter 3. We saw that John was the instrument of God, that he was the least likely of candidates. He didn't dress the part. He didn't come from the place that you would expect. But he was God's chosen instrument. John the Baptist was, who came before as the forerunner, a humble servant of God. He said these words, and I am not fit to remove his sandals, talking of Jesus. He understood what it was to be the forerunner to the Messiah. John was a bold instrument of God because he wasn't seeking his own fame. He was seeking Christ's fame. John played the right tune. He was a perfectly tuned instrument of God. He was courageous enough to say to the world, repent. He called them to turn from their sins and trust in God. This led us to our next point, which was the message itself. What was the message message John brought? He brought the message of repentance. The message of turning from your sin and trusting in the Messiah who was to come. The message called for fruit of repentance. That is, don't just do it with your lips. Don't just say, I'm a believer, and then live however you want. If you truly turn to Christ, you turn from your sins and trust in Christ, you will then have a life that matches it. You will obey the Lord. There's fruit of repentance in verses 7 to 10. The message warned of impending judgment if the call was rejected. John the Baptist was not afraid to say, look, if you don't repent and believe, if you don't get right, judgment's coming. Notice in verse 10 it states this, It says, look in verse 10, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. John wasn't afraid to say the hard truth. He said, there's an axe laying at the root of the tree. He's going to take it out. God is coming, the Lord is incarnate, He is coming to proclaim justice and righteousness and judgment for those that don't repent and believe. An axe aimed at the base of the tree is very bad. We had some dead trees here on the property this week. Shane's crew came out and cut them all down. One of them was really large and you would, when you looked out at the tree you thought, wow, this is a dead tree tree standing and then when he took it down it took it all the way down and then there was a a, a, a a guy that came out and ground the stump and you can't you can't even tell that the tree was there anymore this is the kind of acts our savior brings he doesn't put up with rejection of the say of himself he is god he is the one we must serve he is the one we must surrender to And if we don't, there will be a judgment. John the Baptist preached this message. This is the message we're going to preach here. No matter how many people are here, we're going to still preach the same message. The message doesn't change, beloved. God is a holy God. He's a just God. He requires repentance and faith in Christ. 
He's our hope. He's our only hope. We must trust and obey Him. John was warning of hypocritical Pharisees and scribes. Those that knew how to look good on the outside, but inside they were like ravenous wolves. Their judgment was imminent unless they repented. That's what John the Baptist was saying. So here we are in our new building. And again, the message doesn't change. It doesn't matter if we have ten services. We're going to say the same thing. We're going to go to the next verse. And even if it means we're going to talk about hell, guess what? We're going to talk about hell. Because this is the Word of God and we stand on this. We're going to preach the gospel. We will warn of God's impending judgment today. We will do it just like we did last week. We are not seeking to grow a big church based on a watered-down message. If you leave because that offends you, we're sorry, but we have to stick with the Word of God just like John the Baptist did. We will preach the same message no matter what, no matter who's in this pulpit. When I die and I'm gone, there's going to be somebody else. And they're hopefully going to preach the same message. We're going to preach it in death service. We're going to preach it in evening service. We're going to preach it in every single Bible study. The same message that John the Baptist preached. Repent and believe in Jesus. He's our hope. People who take God's just judgment to come seriously. That's what we want. We want people who want to be warned of impending judgment. We want people who want to be called out for hypocrisy. We want people who want to be confronted with their sin. Beloved, I know going through the Word of God can be confrontational. It confronts us with our sin, doesn't it? But just like John the Baptist, we must continue to proclaim that truth. We need to be confronted with our sin. Because our hope is where? In Jesus Christ our Lord. The axe is lying at the base of every tree. Every person who has rejected Christ will one day face Him. Our lives are never as long as we want them to be, correct? We could face God's justice at any moment. And this is the message John preached. It is the same message the Old Testament prophets taught. And it's the same message that Jesus will teach. You'll see it. The first words, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message the disciples preached. We must repent regularly. We must turn from our sins daily. We must confess our sins to God. We must put to death sin by the grace of God that's working in us. Beloved, you are killing sin or it is killing you. That's a fact. Finally, we began to look at the primary message of God. And that is the exaltation of Jesus Christ the Lord. He's the one. He's our hope, right? How many of you sinned this week? Don't raise your hand. We all did, right? All of us need a Savior. Praise God. He has sent the one into the world to save us from our sins. It is Him. He's our hope, right? 
and we trust Him. Yeah, that was a, even a baby said amen. Praise God. The rest of our time, I want to focus just in on Jesus. I want you to look at him as we go through this passage and examine the glory of our Savior. For That's why we're here, right? That's why we're doing this. We want to exalt him. We want to know him and we want to make him known. This passage, as well as his baptism, is one big revelation of Jesus' glory. Thankfully, I had a gentleman call me, I don't know if the person's here, yesterday asking about our church. He told me that somebody recommended him to our church, and he said the person doesn't go to our church, but he heard that we preach the gospel. I said, well, good. That's a good thing to be known for. (laughs) He said, but I just have one question. Do you preach the gospel there? And I said, I was thinking to myself, I don't know how I can say this more emphatically. Yes, we preach the gospel here. And if you're here, if I don't know who you are, if you're here, you don't have to raise your hand. But if you made that phone call, maybe it was him. (laughs) We're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is all about him. It's all about Christ. John the Baptist preached Jesus Christ. The apostles preached Jesus Christ. The disciples of the apostles preached Jesus Christ. The church has preached, the true church has preached Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. And guess what? Grace Bible Church of Tampa will preach Jesus Christ. I don't care where we are. We're going to preach Him. He is good. So, why will the good news of Jesus Christ be our message? Why is Jesus Christ the message of John the Baptist and all those that came after him? Well, there's several reasons. I want to look at a few of them in this passage. Let's look. First, Jesus is Lord. Look at your passage. Jesus is Lord. Look back at verse 3. Last week I didn't get to go over this important observation. I want to bring it out to you. In Matthew 3, it states, For this is the one who referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Who's he talking about? Well, first of all, he's talking about John the Baptist. Isaiah was talking about uh, John the Baptist coming. But then John the Baptist had a ministry, and his ministry was what? To... Be a one crying out in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. That was the role of John the Baptist. He was the one that was proclaiming Jesus, that Jesus was coming, the Lord was coming. The ministry was all about getting people ready for the Lord. So who is the Lord that John was talking about in this passage? Well, it's Jesus. But look with me briefly over at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. This is a quote from Isaiah 40. Many people have denied the Trinity and denied that Jesus Christ is God. Many people throughout the history. But if they'll read their Bibles and they'll read these Bibles, they'll see that it's very clear that Jesus Christ 
is the God of the Old Testament. The God of Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the same God, Jesus. How do we know? Well, because this passage quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. And notice it states, Clear the way for the Lord. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. What is the point here? Notice the small Lord. It's in L-O-R-D and in your, old, in your Bibles, in the Old Testament. When it's small capital letters there, it's, most, it's often referring to the name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, some say. So whenever it says Lord in small caps, that's a reference to Jehovah God, Yahweh God, the only true God. This means it's a transliteration of his name. The idea is is that he's a translation of his name. They put in Lord so they wouldn't have to say his name Yahweh. They thought he was so holy he couldn't say it. But then when it's quoted over in Matthew, who's the Lord referring to? It's referring to Jesus. And if it's a fulfillment from Isaiah 40, what does that mean? Jesus Christ is Lord. He's God. He's God. So, beloved, he's not just a good man, though he was a good man. He's not just a prophet. He is the Lord God Almighty. And every knee should bow to him and every tongue should confess him. That he is Lord. Next we see Jesus is greater than us. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. In verse 11 it states, John the Baptist speaking, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. I mentioned this last week, but so I won't spend much time, but... There's one simple truth all true believers get about Jesus. This is very clear. Jesus is great and we are not. Okay? Very simple. Jesus is great and we are not. Yes, we are image bearers. Yes, we are God's creation. Yes, God smiled on us and made us. What a great God He is. But we are also very flawed people, aren't we? We're sinful people. We are much more sinful than we can even comprehend. But Jesus, on the other hand, is mightier than us. He is righteous. We are not. He is worthy. We are not. He is greater than us. Jesus is so great, and we are not worthy to even untie His Sandals, just like John. Even the most menial jobs, you say, well, I got to uh, carry in a few things from the truck this week. We weren't worthy to even do that (laughs) for him. We're not worthy to do anything for the king because he is far greater than us, that he would choose us to do anything, change a diaper, (laughs) whatever it be for Christ. What a glorious thing because he is great and he's worthy of our worship. This is what our church has proclaimed and this is what we will continue to proclaim. We are the creation. He is the creator. We are sinful. He is righteous. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is greater than me. 
And so we want to worship him. Friends, this means Jesus gets our total devotion. Just like John was committed to Jesus, we must be committed to Jesus. Next we see Jesus is the baptizer. The baptizer. You say, I thought it was John the Baptist. Why is he the baptizer? Well, you see it in verse 11. Look with me. In verse 11 it states, he will baptize you. John's talking of Jesus now. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Beloved, Jesus is the ultimate baptizer. He is the one who sent the Holy Spirit. He is the one who made the indwelling presence of the Spirit possible for sinful people like me and you. He's the one who made an abiding relationship with God possible. It's the Spirit of God that indwells believers, and we now say, Abba, Father, because of Jesus. Jesus has baptized us with the Spirit. Jesus said on on the night in which he was betrayed in John 14. You can see that. Look over at John 14. John 14, verse 16. Jesus speaking in the upper room, telling about this coming Holy Spirit, the one that's going to come and indwell his people and help them to understand and call out to the Father. In John 14, 16, Jesus states this. He says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. Beloved, this is a reference to the Spirit's work in the hearts of believers. Because of what Christ did, the Spirit's coming. Jesus was the one who made the Spirit's indwelling possible. When He died and rose from the dead, the new covenant relationship was established. Remember the curtain tore in the temple from top to bottom. And from that point on, the Spirit of God could indwell people, literally be with us, and we can have an abiding relationship with God and know Him and enjoy Him because of God, because of Christ. God gives new life to His own through the rebirth and the Spirit's indwelling presence. But Jesus also gives something else. Look back at Matthew 3. For the unrepentant believer, He will baptize them with fire. I believe this is a reference to judgment. The reason I think this is the next verse. It appears to develop that idea of judgment. Fire is mentioned both in verse 11 and 12. Of Matthew chapter 3. But notice how he develops it. In verse 12. He states. His winnowing fork. That is John speaking. He's still preaching. Talking of Jesus. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John describes Jesus as having a winnowing fork in his hand. This is a gardening tool used to separate the useful wheat 
from the useless chaff. You see it here. This is an older one. I don't know if you can see it. Can you see it? Oh, yeah. It's kind of dark. Yeah. So you see it. All right. So the way this works is, is they, they would take it and stick it into the wheat, the whole, uh, all of the crop. They'd throw it up into the air. The chaff would spread, and the wheat, the heavy stuff, would fall to the ground or fall into the area. Then they could collect it. All the chaff would kind of just spread out all over. But they could separate it really easy. And when they separated it, you had the, the good stuff, the stuff that you would eat. And then you had the chaff. The chaff would be just thrown away. It would be burned up. It would be given away, thrown out into the fields. Here we see Jesus is described as, what, burning up the chaff. That is saying that the Holy Lord will, what, get rid of the chaff. That is, all those that reject the Messiah will be judged. Again, brothers and sisters, hell is real. I'm convinced none of us in the room contemplate the reality of hell near enough. If we did, we would act a whole lot different, wouldn't we? We would think of our neighbors a whole lot differently, wouldn't we? We'd think of these people over here and over there. We'd think of them a lot more, wouldn't we? If we understood that hell was a reality, and it is, that unquenchable fire's coming for anybody that rejects Christ, we would live a whole bunch different. John the Baptist took the message serious, didn't he? We need to take that message serious. Now, I do want to give you hope. It's coming. But I want to let you know, hell is real. And everybody in this room that does not know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will face a just God one day if you do not repent and believe. You need to turn to Christ. As we will see, Jesus is a righteous judge. He's also the way we can have righteousness. It's not because of what we do. It's because of what he did. And no matter how much you did work on this campus this week, over the last couple of weeks, or you didn't do any, and you were at the house working hard, it doesn't matter. All your works mean absolutely nothing when it comes before standing before a holy and just God. None of that matters because our, filth, our works are as what? Filthy rags, aren't they? God is a consuming fire. He's holy and He's just. And we all, everybody in here, needs a Savior. And thank God He has provided one. Notice, Jesus is the righteous one. Look at verse 13. Jesus is the righteous one. So Jesus arrives on the scene. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered to him, and said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him to baptize him. 
Remember, John was baptizing people who had repented of their sin. Those people who had turned from their sin and turned to God in anticipation of the coming Messiah. That was John's ministry. Get them ready, right? Tell them to repent. Call them to repentance. And when God worked and they turned, they believed, and they were ready for the Messiah to come, then what would John do? He'd baptize them. And that baptism was what? An outward sign of an inward reality. It showed that what had happened on the outside or inside was now going to be showing on the outside. Baptism showed that I've died in my old life and I'm going to live for God now. It was a symbol or a sign. It showed what had happened. If baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality, sinners turning from sin and being baptized was a way to display one's turn from sin. Dying to sin and being raised to live for God in preparation for the Messiah. So here's the question. Why Jesus? Why would Jesus need to get baptized? Did Jesus repent? Did Jesus ever repent? He never repented. He never had to repent. You know why? He never sinned. So why would John the Baptist baptize Jesus? Well, that question that I just asked, I believe, was going through John's head too. He was confused. Wait a second. This doesn't make sense. John was confused also. Notice in our passage. But John tried to prevent Jesus, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Who got it? John got it. John understood, didn't he? John understood that Jesus was righteous, that Jesus was perfect, that Jesus was not a sinner. He didn't need to repent. He needed, didn't need to see an outward sign of an inward reality. He didn't need that. Jesus was perfect. John thought he, that is John himself, needed to be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. He needed the Holy Spirit. So John's thinking, wait a second, I just preached this. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. And you sure don't need to be baptized by me. But notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, answering him, permit it at this time. For in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. Jesus knew he did not need to repent. Jesus knew that was not his issue. But he also knew that he was going to die to pay for sin. He knew that his mission in this world was to live out righteousness and then to die on a cross and be placed in a grave and rise from the dead. By being baptized, Jesus obeyed the Father's will. And I believe that right here, this baptism was pointing forward to what Jesus was going to do. It was pointing forward to his own death, burial, and resurrection. And the baptism became an outward sign of an, of an event to happen in the future. Jesus starts his ministry with this event. 
He starts his ministry with a look to the final events of his ministry. Very interesting. Jesus was going to die to atone for sin. Jesus was going to be that final atonement. Jesus was going to be the one that fulfilled all righteousness. He was going to obey the Father every second of the day, including getting baptized by John to point forward to what was going to happen. Jesus was going to rise from the dead, and he was going to guarantee repentant believers could have life in his name. Jesus' baptism prefigured his coming fulfillment of all God had promised in Jesus. Perfect obedience, righteousness, and atonement for sin. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 11, it states, talking about Jesus again, 700 years before he came, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquity. Jesus was going to justify the many through his atoning death. He was the righteous one who provides righteousness through his work. So why did we need Jesus to be baptized? Well, we needed him to be baptized. That's a wild thought, but I want you to think on it. We needed Jesus to be baptized by John. You know why? We needed Jesus to obey the Father perfectly. We needed Him to obey Him perfectly. Why? Because we need righteousness. We don't have it. No matter how good we are, we talked about this, no matter how much we do, we're still filthy rags compared to Him. We need righteousness. And the righteousness comes from who? Jesus Christ. And He did it. We can't. And the greatest things that we ever accomplish in this world pale in comparison to anything that Jesus did. I don't care if we build ten buildings twice as big as this. It don't matter. Who cares? Jesus' work matters. His righteousness is everything. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is greater than us. Jesus is the baptizer. And Jesus is the righteous one. His righteousness that we have hope, right? It's in Him alone. Fifth, Jesus is a member of the Trinity. Look at this. In verse 16 and 17, we see, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, look, the heavens were opened, and He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Just a few observations from this. I don't, I don't think this passage gives credence to the Holy Spirit literally being a dove or even a form of a dove. I think it's an obvious simile, right? That like a dove, he had descended on him. There was an appearance that resembled what a dove would look like when it lighted on something. 
But that's not even the main point. The main point is the Spirit says this is the Son. He affirms it by His presence. The Spirit says Jesus is the Messiah by His identification there. One who has the abiding relationship with the Spirit. He is the Messiah. And then the Father, a voice from heaven, says, He is my beloved Son. All three members of the Trinity are at the baptism. All three are identified as God and in perfect relationship with each other. They're all pointing to each other saying, Yes, Jesus. He's the one. The Spirit affirms sinless Jesus. The Father affirms Jesus' righteousness. The three are working together to glorify the Godhead. It's a triune God. Do you understand that? It's a trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are the three members of the trinity. We see them in this, in this verse. Which brings us to the sixth reason we proclaim Jesus. Jesus is the beloved Son. Jesus is the beloved Son. A voice, verse 17, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son. The Father acknowledges His love for the Son. Jesus was willing to lay down His life for His people. Remember, He's being baptized, prefiguring what's going to happen. And And the Father says, This is my beloved Son. And His Baptism pointed forward. So the Father affirms this and affirms the Son and says, This is my loved Son. Just for the record, the Father didn't start loving Jesus at this moment. (laughs) He's always loved the Son. The Father has loved the Son forever in the past and will always love the Son. The Spirit has always existed. The Son has always existed. The Father has always existed They have no beginning of time or end of time. They are the self-existent ones, and they love each other perfectly. All three members of the Trinity. The Father responds with an affirmation of His Son's love, or His love for His Son. Now, you who are parents here, you know what it's like to love your children, don't you? You love them with all your heart. And when we love our children, we would probably lay our life down for our children in a second, wouldn't we? We think, oh, you, anything you want, <laughs> you can have it, except for sin, right? We want to, we love our children, we care for our children, we're sacrificially committed to our children. But again, our love pales in comparison to the Father's love for the Son, The Godhead has always existed and they have always loved each other perfectly, always. They've never had an argument. That's a wild thought. Think about that. The three members of the Trinity have never argued, not one time. They've never said, nah. No way. They've always agreed. In perfect harmony, loving each other perfectly all the time. Now that's love, isn't it? And yet, where is the Son? The Son is incarnate there. He's become a man. 
and he's going to die. And he's at his baptism showing that he's going to die. And the father says, this is my son, my beloved son. Four years ago around this time, I watched my, my youngest son go through an aneurysm. I can, I'll never forget the ache in my soul as I watched the possibility of losing my son. I, that was the hardest time of my life ever. As little Luke looks up at me and faces the reality that he could die because of an aneurysm. I'll never forget the one thing that stuck in my head as I walked around the block the night before his surgery when we faced the reality that he could pass away. As I was walking around and I was thinking, I was like, Lord, you know my heart. I'm wailing in that in Ranch Lake Circle. I know people thought I was nuts. I'm crying as I'm walking around the block, crying out to the Father saying, Oh, Father, you know how much I love him. And one thought stuck in my mind. The Father watched the Son suffer. The Father watched the Son suffer. Just a small little glimpse of what I got to see, what the father watched as his own son suffered for us. The father loves the son, and yet he loves us so much that he would give his son into the world to die for sinners like me and you. Oh, what a God, right? I love you guys, but I wouldn't give my son for you. That's not the first thing that comes to my mind. But the Father loves the Son. And He gave the Son. And He gave the Son to die so that we could become His children. What a glorious truth, right? If the Father loves the Son, what do you think? Do you think we should love the Son? (laughs) How much should we be committed to the Son? We should be so committed to Jesus Christ that we all go out of this place screaming His name to everybody, right? We're going to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ this week, aren't we? I want to sit on the aisles next week. Bring people or in the, in the aisles. Sit anywhere. we got chairs. Oh, we got lots of chairs back here and over there and over there. We can put chairs everywhere. There are people dying and going to hell. We know the Son. Let's share the Son. Because we love Him. And finally we see the reason why Jesus Christ will be our message is because Jesus is the pleasure of the Father. Look at this last phrase. This one just stands off. It screams off the page at me. Look at it. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This phrase can be translated, this is my son, the beloved one, in whom I am well satisfied with. I'm well pleased. I'm delighted with. Oh, this is so important. Remember, the Trinity gets their joy and their pleasure from each of the members. Each of the members get pleasure in each other. 
<coughs> each of the members of the Trinity are completely pleased with each other. God is a Trinity, and all three members are pleased with each other. Why? Because they are members of the Godhead together. And all three of them love each other and are enjoying each other continuously. How many of you want perfect joy all the time? That's the Trinity. They're always happy. (laughs) They're always rejoicing in one another. They never disappoint each other. They're always satisfied with one another. What an amazing thought. There's this song that was written by Steve Green. I know I just dated myself and made me sound like the old music guy. Steve Green wrote a song called The Pleasures of the King. I love this song. You've got to go listen to it. I was going to play it, but the musicians worked so hard to practice, I can't take away their last song. It's all about what brings joy and delight to God. What brings joy to God? What brings a smile to his face? I'll tell you, this brings a smile to my face. But, but there are other things that bring even a bigger smile to my face. Somebody told me this week, they said, I can't wait to see you smile on Sunday. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> but there's something bigger to smile about. Much better than a building. Who cares? You know, I am preaching on the Trinity, and that might not be accepted by somebody that we just bought the building from. We might be out on the, uh, on the lawn next week, okay? But it's okay. We love Jesus, don't we? And He is our greatest joy, isn't He, beloved? He's the Father's greatest pleasure, and He's our greatest pleasure. He's our joy, too. This song, it talks about how what brings God delight and joy, what makes the Father pleased. <coughs> Steve Green mentions these. He says, The creation makes Him happy. His children make him happy. Healing his children and helping them to come to know the Son makes him happy. Salvation makes him happy. But then he comes to the climax of what makes God happy. What makes the Father happy. What makes the King happy. And the pinnacle of his pleasure is this. Look at these words. But of all his regal pleasures, One to stand above the rest, the Son He gave to serve and save in perfect holiness, existing pure and faultless, embodiment of truth, guardian of righteousness with name beyond reproof. His words uphold the universe in love unwavering. Jesus, you are the treasure of the King. Jesus, you are the pleasure of the king. Ah, great, great verse, right? So what should be our response to this pleasure of the king? How should we respond to knowing Jesus a little bit more today? Well, one thing's for sure, there's a call for repentance, right? If we sin this week, we need to confess our sins and turn to Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's a call to embrace the pleasure of the King. Embrace the one that the Father is delighted with. 
Jesus Christ the righteous. If Jesus is Lord, beloved, then we should surrender to Him. If Jesus is greater than us, then we should humbly serve Him. If Jesus is the baptizer, we should seek to enjoy the blessings of the Spirit and walk in the fruit of the Spirit that He's given us. If Jesus is the righteous one, we should by no means trust in our own perceived righteousness. If Jesus is a member of the Trinity, then we should worship Jesus accordingly. And if Jesus is the beloved Son of God, then we should love Him too. And finally, if Jesus is the pleasure of the Father, then we should be our great, He should be our greatest pleasure also. He should be our delight. <coughs> I think it's very appropriate that Jimmy had in prayer time Philippians 4 for us to read. Look over at Philippians 4. Philippians 4. The Father, and we'll close with these words in Philippians 4. The Father is pleased with the Son. Beloved, we need to be pleased with the Son too. We need to delight in Him. We need to enjoy Him. In Philippians 4, Paul has said this numerous times. He's gone over it already. He repeats himself over and over. But then in Philippians 4, notice he states, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Delight in Jesus Christ. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I have one command for you this week. You ready? Go delight in the Lord. Go enjoy Jesus Christ. For as you rejoice in the Lord, you will not have anxiety. You will know where to go. And you will have someone to proclaim Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. Father, we pray that you will work. This is your church, Lord. These are your people. Father, we pray that you will use us to proclaim Christ like John the Baptist did. Father, we pray that you will help us to enjoy your Son, that we will delight in you this week, that we will find all of our satisfaction in you. Father, we know that this world is constantly trying to get us to be delight in other things, the things of the world. God, please help us to enjoy your Son this week. Help us to take great pleasure in knowing Him and abiding in Him and proclaiming Him. Use us, Father, for your glory. We thank you for the Father. We thank you for the Son. And we thank you for the Spirit. We exalt you, God. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing.
sorry, we have to make one announcement. Uh, the parking attendants have asked me to make this announcement. There's, a, there's an access road on the other side of the, uh, at the end of this property, in the grass that goes out to the main road. We're not, my understanding is we're not going to exit the, the way we came in, this, this uh, driveway. The parking attendants will direct you to the access road. So the best thing to do is to, to follow their lead, follow their direction. They'll tell you how to get out of the property. Does that make sense to go through the access road? Go ahead, Stephen. Well, we did make this point this day. We think it's a good time we can gather together and worship you. 